invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 107. And I hope even after just uh, two uh, sermons last uh, week, and the third one today, that you're already getting the idea that Psalm 107 is driving you to thanksgiving. And the particular focus in the passage before us today is uh, thankful, joyful singing. Uh, uh, the, the third section, it really breaks up into, into five sections pretty well, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 22. Again, just by way of reminder, this is a psalm that was probably written uh, as the exiles returned from exile as they gave thanks to the Lord for his delivery. It's a call to give thanks. Though it has commands, it's not primarily a call by command. Rather, it's a, it's a call to give thanks by recounting the goodness of God to his people. And so my aim in preaching through this psalm is to encourage you to give thanks to God by recounting his goodness to you. And so let's consider his word together, hear from him, and may we indeed have ears to hear the word of God. I'll be reading verses uh, 17 through 22. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent, his word, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. This is the word of God. And may God add his blessing to our hearing and consideration of his word together. Just right up front, we get a description of what sort of people these were. They were fools and sinners. Fools and sinners like me and like you. And let me clarify that as we look at the text, as we understand what, what, what is a fool. We, we sometimes think of a fool as someone who's a bit of a, of a buffoon, uh, you know, a jester, a I like to tell jokes, not in the pulpit, but I like to tell jokes, and people perhaps think I'm a bit of a fool in that regard. But the, but the Bible uses the word fool in a different way. It's particularly, uh, it's a moral description. It's one who denies God. And when a Christian sins, in that moment, we are fools. We may not deny God ultimately, but we deny God in that moment. We play the fool, if you will. The fool is also described in Scripture as someone who doesn't understand God's works and God's ways. And doesn't that, at times, describe us? Someone who hates knowledge. And these, about whom this portion of the psalm speaks, are identified as fools and as sinners. They suffered because of their sin, because of their iniquity. And yet we need to remember that the description of these fools and sinners is that they are still God's people. This psalm is about us. It's about you and me, as well as these saints in the day in which it was written. Sometimes when we read the Bible, the story's not about us. We're not Moses. 
leading Israel through the Red Sea. We're not David killing our Goliath. And we're certainly not Jesus delighting to do his Father's will. But we, who are God's people, are sometimes fools and sometimes sinners. Martin Luther puts that idea together of being simultaneously saints and sinners. A description of who we are by essence, if you will, what defines us, but also who we are by practice, how we might define, how we might describe us. And Christians at times are fools, at times are sinners. And when we see that in the Word of God, we should be asking the question, is that all there is that defines me? Am I nothing but a fool and a sinner? Or am I simultaneously a saint? One who has trusted the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. One who knows of His saving work and sees evidence of it in my life and others see evidence of that as well. But there are, in the Word of God, serious warning passages. We find many of them in the book of Hebrews. You're familiar with the account there. Let me just read uh, from two different portions. Chapter 3, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then the very beginning of the next chapter, chapter 4, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed. There are warnings in the Word of God. Are you nothing but a fool and a sinner? And if that's who you are in your essence, then the call of the Scripture is repent and believe the Gospel. But if that's who you are in your, in your practice at times, the call of the Scripture is again, Remember your repentance and continue believing the gospel and quit being a fool and quit sinning. That's constantly the call of the scripture to us. We won't reach a point of perfection, but don't be content to be a fool and a sinner. Or don't be content to be foolish and sinful. I don't want any of you who may be struggling with sin to doubt and fear whether you will be saved to the end, if you are indeed in Christ. But I also don't want anyone who is not a genuine believer to have any false expectation because of a one-time prayer or decision or whatever it is, securing their salvation where there's no evidence of the fruit of saving faith in their life. The Scripture calls us to examine ourselves, to see if we are in the faith. Am I trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, then when you're foolish, it will drive you again to Christ. You'll be, you'll be encouraged to go to Christ. Lord, help me turn from this sin. Help me turn from this foolishness. Help me demonstrate saving faith in my life. Faith that isn't always at the same level. And so we pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Don't be content with being a fool and a sinner, but recognize that that is part even of the Christian 
It is part in our text of these who are the people of God. This is not a, a psalm that is written as an evangelistic psalm for the unbeliever. It is written for the people of God. It is written about the people of God. It is written about them. It is written about me. It is written about you. What sort of people? Fools and sinners. And foolishness and sin as consequences. So what did they experience? Well, they experienced affliction. And particularly, they experienced affliction because of their iniquities. Which makes us ask a question. I think a very useful question. Is all affliction that I might face because of my particular sin? The Bible gives an absolutely clear answer to that. Absolutely not. But at the same time, is some affliction due to my sin? The Bible gives an equally clear answer. Absolutely yes. And so I think it's always good to ask when facing affliction. God, is there sin in my life that this is a response to? Are you bringing this to call to my attention a way in which I'm failing for Christ? A way in which I'm living as a fool? A way in which I'm living as a sinner? I think when we face affliction, it's always good to ask that question. God, is this from sin in me? And I think as we do that, as you sincerely pray that to the Lord, if no clear sin comes to mind, then go in peace Trusting that God is sovereign over this affliction, but as far as you know, it's not due to particular sin. And if some clear sin comes to mind, even though we don't know ultimately the secret will of God, and may not be able to say absolutely this affliction is because of this sin, though sometimes cause and effect are clear. Drive drunk, you have an accident, you receive a, a, a disability because of that, you know that's what it was from. It's not always that clear. But if you do ask God, is this affliction from sin? And sin comes to mind, repent. Christ, you paid for this sin. Teach me now from this affliction. And if affliction, a sin doesn't come to mind, still pray to Christ, Lord, teach me from this affliction. It's often in affliction that God draws near to us and teaches us better how to live the Christian life. Because God controls affliction, we can give thanks, no matter how it came about. Psalm 119, verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted. But discipline's no fun. All discipline is not joyful, but sorrowful. One of our grandchildren, uh, father, reported to us, uh, was being disciplined. Uh, the rod of correction is applied to the seed of knowledge. And he was crying and saying, it hurts. And his father was conveying this, that he tried to explain to him, yes, discipline hurts, but we're using it to try to teach you to obey. We want you to obey. My obey hurts. And sometimes our obey does hurt. Sometimes discipline for sin or affliction we don't have to pretend that it doesn't, and we can learn from it as these they experience affliction. Next we see there in verse 18, the, the affliction of verse 70, verse 18, they experience sickness. Literally, their souls loathed food. And there's some discussion about that text. Is it 
Was this a physical sickness or a soul sickness? And I don't think we have to decide the question. You've had the experience, I'm sure, of being distressed and downcast, and because of that, food had no attraction to you. Now, sometimes the opposite can happen. Because you're distressed and downcast, food gives you comfort, and be careful about that. That can be a dangerous path to follow. But sickness that comes can come to the soul. And we have the word psychology, the study of the soul. Sometimes we look to medical causes and medical solutions for soul sickness and solutions, and it's not always easy to know which is which. And so we see our doctors, and we see our elders, and we pray for each other, and we seek to understand. But these saints experienced a sickness, perhaps of their soul, but it was manifested in a physical way. We know that sickness of body and soul may come as a result of foolishness. But not only did they suffer affliction, not only did they suffer sickness, they suffered near-death experiences. They weren't merely in the shadow of death, but they were near the gates of death, there in verse 18. They drew near to the gates of death. And we don't know the particulars of what that was. We, we have a discussion, a conversation in our culture about near-death experience, and I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about modern discussion of -of out-of-body experiences and things like that. Simply, they were close to death. Maybe some of you have had that experience of being physically close to death. And these, who because of their sin and because of their foolishness, faced affliction and sickness, and they were near death. What am I going to do? And I hope that you say, I know the answer. Because we've been in this psalm now. This is the third time. What did they do in their response? They cried to the Lord in their trouble. I hope that gets driven into your head as you look through this psalm. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. Do we only cry to the Lord when we're distressed? Absolutely not. In fact, if that's your pattern of life, that you sort of depend on yourself for the most part, but when you get in too deep, you say, Lord, I can't, I can't fix this. I need you to help me. Realize you can't fix anything. You know, there's that prayer of a saint who said, Lord, it's, you know, it's been a pretty good day so far. I haven't really struggled with anything. But, Lord, I'm getting out of bed now. The morning has come, and I need your help. That should be our response. I need your help from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. And when I wake during the night, I'm still with you. And I will cry out to you. So call to the Lord all the time. But when you're in distress, cry to the Lord in your distress. Even if you are convinced that your distress, your affliction is because. You see, sometimes in that situation, we think, well, I need to fix this first. Or I need to, and we we don't do penance, but we do. You know, I need to somehow prove to God that I'm worthy of his affection, of his saving work to continue in me. And so I'm going to do some things that somehow are going to make me more acceptable to God. No, you're not. Christ has done enough. He has done this. It was he. It is finished, he cried on the cross. So cry to the Lord in your distress. Not after you've straightened it up. 
when you're in the middle of your distress. And if any of you here, I again, I don't know you, if any of you here are not in Christ, maybe you think, sometimes non-Christians think, I just need to straighten up my life and then I'll turn to God. I need to get things sort of in order and then I'll believe in Jesus. No, you won't because you'll never get them in order. It's in the distress of your sin that you cry to the Lord for help. Let Him, through the work of justification and sanctification, straighten up your life. So they cried to the Lord in their distress. And what did He do? And I hope you're saying, I know what He did. Because He keeps doing it over and over in this psalm. He saved them out of their distress. He saved them out of their stress. It's, it's there in 6b. He delivered them from their distress. It's here in, in verse 13. He delivered them from their distress. It's in verse 19. He delivered them from their distress. It's in verse 28. He delivered them from their distress. That is what God does for His people. Always? Yes. Immediately? No. It may not be in this life that we find complete deliverance from the distress that we face. And there will be no more crying or sickness or death. One day we will see our Savior face to face and we will be like Him. We won't be Him. But the deliverance of God is certain. But the timing is not. And I don't know about you, but I can get impatient. You know, God, give me patience and give it to me right now. Well, that's not what God does. And if you've learned anything as a Christian, don't pray for God to give you patience in the way you didn't want. But we'll be good from God to you. God saved them from their distress. And we can be certain that he was not saved. What is it that the Gospels say? Jesus prays in John 12, My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then as Jesus prayed in Luke's account in Luke 22, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your You see, the answer to that question, if it's possible to secure the salvation of your people another way, Father, do it. Christ is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so we read, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? We may feel like it at times. Lord, how long? Lord, have you turned your affection away from me? Is your faithful love being removed from me? We may feel that and we can pray that, but we never have to pray, God, why have you forsaken me? Because he forsook Christ for you, for me. That's one of the things that we remember at the Lord's Supper. We remember his death. We proclaim his death until he comes. What did the Lord do? He saved them out of their distress. But interestingly, this section gives us a few more details. How did he do that? He sent his word and healed them. The power of the word of God. The word by which in six days the world was created. The word that became flesh and lived among us. And we beheld his glory, John says, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. God's word is power and is powerful and is effective. And God sends his word to bring healing to us. I've heard people say, maybe you've said this. If you have, repent. I know that's what the Bible says, but it doesn't. That's the fool or the believer being foolish. Or sometimes it's qualified a little bit maybe nicer. It doesn't work for me. Well, God's Word does work. It has power. God's Word is often the means of salvation and deliverance. His Word is powerful to save, and it is true. I don't know if any of you would have heard of this name. Not probably a well-known uh, person the uh, name of Krista Horning. And if any of you are interested, I could give you a, a link to a YouTube video in which she is talking about her life. Uh, Krista was born with Apert syndrome, and there are a number of different disability and effects that, that came from that in her life. She's in her early 20s, and she says this, this video. She says, disability lies to me, and sometimes it's easy to live. And I think, especially in the context of Psalm 107, we could substitute for disability, sin. Sin lies to me, and sometimes it's easy to listen and believe. Or distress. Distress lies to me, and it's easy to listen and believe. Or trouble. Trouble lies to me. Trouble lies to you. And sometimes it's easy to listen and believe. But then Krista goes on to say this. God tells the truth, so I keep listening to him. He opens the eyes of my heart, and I believe. I trust him and his words. And then in this video, she goes on for several minutes to apply particular Bible verses about the control of God over all the things of her life. A life with a disability probably severe than more severe than any of us have to deal with. But see, we don't have to have that problem because we have affliction. We have difficulties. And God's word heals. God's word is powerful. She often says this, said it to our children, says it to others. I read the Bible over and over. And we need to do that. Instead of I know that's in the Bible, but it doesn't work. God sent his word, and he delivered them from their, their sin, their affliction, but their deliverance. These members of the family of God were in affliction because of their foolishness of sin. Let's not forget that. We saw that in the, in the second section last week. They were in destruction. They were in places of destruction because of their sin and their foolish rebellion, rebellion, and God delivered them from that. And God does that work. Deny Jesus. Persecute Christians even to death. In the book of Proverbs, the fool is often sexually immoral. An adulterer. Covetousness. Having other gods besides God. Taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. Dishonoring the Sabbath. Dishonoring your parents. There is, for those who are in Christ, in all of those sins, we will not face destruction if we are in Christ. Because in Christ, 
God delivers us from our destruction. There's no sin that's too great. There's no destruction that's too complete. Think of that thief on the cross. Began by mocking Christ, but then came to understand we are guilty, but this man he repented and believed. Now don't wait for that. Especially you who are young. You, you may think, if you're here and you're a young person and, and you're not yet in Christ, you may think, I've got all kinds of time. Maybe you don't. But don't heap up destruction in the meantime. <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel now. Be saved from the destruction that you're already in. And those of you who are facing affliction, facing trouble, facing sickness, whether you can identify it as because of your sin or not, cry to the Lord in your distress, and he will deliver you. He will continually send his word to heal you, and he will, he will keep you from destruction. And so the people of God in response did what? Or what we're told here in um, verse 22, they offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and they declared his works with joyful singing. A sacrifice of thanksgiving, the declaration of his works with joyful singing. That's the way the Hebrew language often does things. It says the same thing in a slightly different way, but they're really parallel ideas. It's not that they did one thing, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and then they did a different thing, declared his works with joyful singing. Their sacrifice of thanksgiving was to declare his works with joyful singing, and so is yours, and so is mine. Now, we know a little bit about sacrifice. We're removed from it. Sometimes we read the Old Testament and we think, I'm a little puzzled by that. But there are certain things that I think are obvious about sacrifice in the Old Testament that continues in the New Testament. Not the system, but the, the idea. The sacrifice had to be the best. And so that's why Christ had to be offered as a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice also had to come at great cost to the sacrificer. So, of course, with Christ, it came at the cost of his life. But for us, we can't offer a sacrifice of praise to God glibly. We can't offer ourselves as living sacrifices, as Romans 12 urges us to, lightly. No, the call is to give the best. But to offer it believing that God will be pleased with it because he has asked for it and he accepts it. Declare his works with joyful singing. We're to go to Jesus outside the camp, Hebrews 13. He represents us as a merciful high priest in the presence of God. And he prays for us. And to go to the Father, we must come through the Son. Now, I don't mean that in a formulaic way, we have to always say when we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. But I think to say, in Jesus' name, amen, is a good reminder to us in our prayer that our only access to the Father is through the person of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think in the New Testament era, we get a little bit confused. And we say things like, or Christians say things like, I can go directly to God. I don't need a mediator anymore. No, you can't. No, I can't. But you can go directly to the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through him you can go directly to God. And you're received in your prayers because they come in Jesus' name. And so having been set free from the burden and of guilt and sin, we want to express our thanks to God. We don't offer material sacrifices. We don't pile up wood 
put an animal on that and offer it up as a sacrifice. Ah, that has been taken care of once and for all. I think in some ways, this living sacrifice and sacrifice of praise might be harder. I, I don't know for sure because I didn't live then, I only live now, but I know it's hard to constantly be offering my life as a sacrifice to God and to constantly be offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's just easy to go into the day-to-day -day ordinary and sort of forget God's in control of all those, these things. And when we do that, we become the fool that doesn't acknowledge God. And this psalm then reminds us to turn away from that, cry out to the Lord, and receive His blessing. One writer said it this way about this sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, that confess the name. He wants us to say it. God wants to hear us verbally praise Him. And in this response, though it's not in the text, there's a strong implication of obedience. There's a strong implication that these who were being foolish and sinful were in their calling out to the Lord in their distress, in their receiving of His deliverance, are turning away from that foolishness and sinfulness. And if you don't see that in your life, you need to ask God why. If it's because you've never believed the gospel, then repent and believe it. But if there are particular sins, and maybe you need to be around others who will encourage you daily, as long as it is called today, so that you aren't hardened. But even for us, there is that danger that we would be hardened by the deceitfulness. But having been rescued, having been delivered, let us offer to God. He has delivered us from our sin. Our Father in heaven, what a, what a gracious God you are. We are at times, we must admit, we are at times, we are at times sinners. Sometimes we believe the lure of the world, the flesh and the devil, more than we believe you and your word. But you keep hearing us as we cry to you in our distress. And you keep sending your word to heal us. Might it be that your word this morning would be a source of healing for some here, even now? And Lord, might we respond with joyful, obedient lives. Might we delight to sing 